Hi, welcome back to the Retro Cinema Review Podcast. I'm Scarlett, and this is the podcast where we rewatch old TV shows and movies um, and remember why we liked them in the first place. I am always up for revisiting an older TV show or movie. It's Sometimes it's kind of like visiting an old friend, and it always will bring back memories of where I was at the time when I first saw it or, you know, where I was in life. Um, and I also like discovering new old movies or TV shows that I may have missed the first time around. So that said, um, this time we are going to rewatch a movie called Mr. Mom. This was originally released in theaters August 19th, 1983, starring Michael Keaton. Remember him? He'll eventually in the early 90s be the, like the first Batman. Well, at least the first Batman when they started making all of the movies. I don't know what number movie we're on, but yeah. (laughs) Um, Opposite Michael Keaton is Terry Garr. Um, She is one of those actresses that has been in a lot of movies from, especially from the 80s. Um, You know her face and recognize her. Um, And I believe actually even in the 90s, she was still making movies and um, starred a few times on the uh, TV show Friends. Running time for this movie is an hour and 31 minutes. A basic overview, um, Michael Keaton plays an engineer. Um, He works in the auto business. Um, It looks like they live in Detroit. Um, He gets laid off, and his wife, Terry Garr, decides that it's time for her to go back to work. And she has previously worked in advertising. And dad can stay home. He can be the stay-at-home husband and dad, take care of the house, and take care of their three children. A little boy named Kenny, boy named Alex, and baby Megan. So the movie opens on a quaint Cape Cod. We see, you know, basic suburban street, quiet. Um, And as we kind of zoom into the bedroom, we see the two main characters starting to wake up for the day. Mom, of course, gets out of bed first, wakes her husband. And it's interesting because she tells him his shower is ready. She already started the water for him. Okay, so mom takes care of everyone, is what that tells me. She then goes in to wake the children. Um, We start hearing the weatherman giving the weather for Detroit, so confirming that's where we're set. Um, We see dad hit the carpool, and he instantly starts complaining about his lack of sleep. And then everyone starts discussing the state of the car company that they all work for. After they get to work, this is still a topic of conversation, but now, um, as he is down on the line where the cars are being put together, the guys that work on the line are telling him that they're afraid of waiting in line, welfare lines, unemployment lines, and then you hear Jack, Michael Keaton's character, being overhead paged. He walks in and all his carpool buddies are being fired, and so is Jack. Not fired, technically furloughed, is what the boss tells them. Don't worry, they're all great engineers, they'll find something new. So it seems like everybody's fear turned out to be true. So of course, Jack gets home late, and he's morose, and Caroline and the kids are lined up to greet him, and they're all happy and chipper and cheerful. They tell him they're having Colonel Chicken for dinner, which is KFC. And Kenny, the eldest, says, let's enjoy it, it may be our last. (laughs) (laughs) out of the mouths of babes 
Later on, Caroline says she put the word out, she has experience in advertising, she has a degree, and Jack kind of scoffs at her and says he bets her 100 to 1 she won't get a job before he does. She refuses to take the bet, and as she's getting ready for her first day at her new job, he continues to tell her to take the money. She won the bet. As she's trying to get out the door, she continually goes over lists of things for Jack. Um, you know, signs that the kids are ready for naps, what time to pick Kenny up from school, how to do the school pickup and drop off. And you can tell he's annoyed. He's not really listening to her. He's kind of like, whatever, I got this. This shit's easy. You know, it's more difficult to go to work every day. Just go. So she tells the kids, take it easy on daddy. He's a rookie. And Alex tells her, have a good day, mom. It's a jungle out there. <laughs> so with mom out the door and on her first day at the office, um, we now see school drop off and it's a torrential downpour. And the kids tell him, it's not how mommy does it. Mommy doesn't drop us off this way. So <laughs> in the early 80s, safety standards, lack of safety standards, um, yeah, it's not quite what it is now. We see the kids bouncing around in the car, unrestrained. Um, and of the two boys, one of them is up in the front seat with dad. Like, that essentially would never happen today. <laughs> so, of course, because he didn't listen, dad kind of screws up drop off the first day. But, you know, whatever. Everybody's going to write it off because it's his first time. We then join Caroline, and she begins to navigate her first day at her ad agency. It's loud, it's raucous, there's a smoke-filled conference room, and she walks in and almost looks like a deer in headlights. Hello, early 80s office culture. Yikes. Kind of very masculine and under the surface, right under the surface you can tell, kind of very misogynistic, but in a, that 80s joking kind of way, but you know it's there. One thing I love in this scene, though, is if you look at the McDonald's cups and things on the table, I love the old school period, you know, just items that you get in older movies like this. I think that's one of the reasons I love rewatching older movies like this. So I love those old school McDonald's cups, and God, I remember those. So right out of the box, after she walks in the room, takes all of this in, they ask her opinion on a layout for their cornerstone account, Schooner Tuna. She states that none of them influence her after looking at all of the layouts, and they ridicule her. You know, everybody in the room, the peanut gallery essentially ridicules her. Basically, oh, whatever, new girl, first day back, she doesn't know what she's talking about. What we do is fabulous type opinion. So back to dad, who is now taking all of the kids to the grocery store. And of course, it's a disaster. He knocks down displays. The baby's crying. And of course, he's overwhelmed at the deli. <laughs> he orders ham. And they ask him, boiled, salt cured, sugar cured, baked. And he just is totally confused like a deer in headlights. <laughs> and then he tries to be slick and nonchalant while he grabs a box of Kotex maxi pads. Wow, the fragile mayo ego of the early 80s is seriously on display in this movie. And I'm kind of living for it. Now, he does run into a friend of his wife, Caroline, in the grocery store. And she's like, oh, it's not so easy. To which he agrees, of course. 
And then she gives him her number and says, call any time, basically saying like, you know, oh, if you need help, let me know. I'll be happy to come down the street and help you. Uh-huh. So that night when Caroline gets home, she's happy to see the boys are taking a bath and singing with dad until she looks closer and realizes one of the boys is wearing his slippers in the tub. Almost perfect. Close enough, I guess. The next morning, Mr. Richardson, the big boss, pulls up in a limousine to pick up Caroline for a trip to the schooner tuna plant. Jack is jealous. You can see it all over his face. And he comes in to meet Mr. Richardson with a chainsaw and some weird macho machismo early 80s effort to be masculine. This movie is crazy at some points. <laughs> Again, you know, the fragile male ego circa 1983. It was a sad time for all of us. So he, st- he tells Mr. Richardson, oh, I'm adding a wing on the house and I'm going to rewire everything. And Ron <laughs> asks him if he's making all the electric 220, which is like the standard voltage. And Jack says, yep, 220, 221, whatever it takes. There's like, as far as I know, somebody, if they're an electrician, correct me, but 221 is not a thing. (laughs) Which, considering that Jack is an engineer, might potentially be a little concerning, but I guess he designs vehicles, so all right, we'll let it slide. Anywho. We then see, on board the company jet, Ron tells her she's a natural for this account because she's fresh from the trenches of consumerism. And, well, she's very attractive. And she smiles, and, you know, you can tell she's a little uncomfortable. Again, welcome to 1983, blatant sexual harassment done with a smile. So, you know, oh, no big deal. This may be the early 80s where the... I'm just joking, began. Yeah, it continues in 2019. It's never a joke, and it's never funny. She then, this bugs me, she then starts cutting Ron's steak, not thinking, and has to apologize. You know, she kind of brushes it off. Too long in the mommy trenches. Oh, Jesus. Can I tell you, that is so unrealistic. There is no mom that when she goes on a business trip on her second day of work right at a new job forgets that she is not in mommy mode i don't care take any random mom and give her 30 minutes to an hour to run to the grocery store by herself and trust me she remembers that she's not in mommy mode forgetting that you don't have to mother people and keep an eye on them and make sure that they don't go running down the store aisles or, you know, try to open the car door when you stop at a stoplight. You don't forget things like that. It's not a thing. Back at home, we see Jack seems to be getting some sort of a routine down. We see him stripping the sheets off the beds. He enlists the boys to help stuff them in the washer. Um... Only you suddenly get the impression that he may have put all of the sheets in the washer at once. 
Um, so that would be like a queen size bed and two twins and hell, maybe the baby's crib sheet too. And then potentially he didn't read the back of the detergent because it looks like he's putting way too much. Um, yeah. Again, you know, this is the early 80s for you. Men are unable to do a simple load of laundry on their own without supervision. So now we have male stereotypes too. Um, and obviously he's too stupid to read the back of the box to know how much detergent to use. Yeah. And he wouldn't think about the fact that he's overstuffed the washer and nothing in there is going to get clean. I don't know. Oh well, moving on, because the doorbell's ringing, and it's the TV repair woman. Okay, time out. 1983, and the person coming to repair the television is a woman? Oh, okay. Ten points to Gryffindor, I guess. I'm a little surprised. Now, they do make her very masculine, and, you know, she's kind of stereotypical, but still... I'll allow it. Interesting. So she fixes the upstairs TV. The baby knocks over a plant. Um, the boys are now attempting to dig chili out of a can for lunch because they're hungry. Um, the vacuum is on, and the boys have named it Jaws. So, of course, it starts sucking up one of their blankies to which Jack has to fight Jaws to get the blankie back. And of course, in the midst of all of this mayhem, the exterminator shows up. And then the plumber shows up to check out the water heater. And the poor plumber notices that the washer looks a bit angry. Hmm. But there's no time for that because the chili is burning on the stove. Jaws is still running through the house on his own, plug plugged in. What kind of cord is that? I don't know how this vacuum is running rampant through the entire lower part of the house without getting becoming unplugged. I don't know about you, but my vacuum, I think it has like maybe an eight inch cord on it. I have to like switch outlets to even vacuum one room. So I don't know, maybe I need to figure out what the heck kind of vacuum they were using back in 1983. And of course, he has to pull out and use the fire extinguisher on the chili. The washer starts rocking itself away from the wall because you know how when a washer is unbalanced it'll start to make that terrible knocking noise and you know back in the early 80s it would make the knocking noise but it wouldn't stop itself like modern washers do so it just kept dancing and rocking until it pulled itself away from the wall and breaks the water hoses. So of course water starts spraying everywhere. So, of course, Jack makes it just in time to save the Whoopi, the blanket, from Jaws the vacuum and change Megan's toxic diaper that the boys are now screaming smells terrible. By the time Caroline arrives home that night, Jack is sprawled on the couch, covered with sleeping kids. You can tell he's exhausted. But, you know, it's another day in the books. So the next day we see Jack out on interviews again, um, dragging the baby with him. And as he's sitting in a waiting room, he is met with a bunch of other men, um, and they're trading recipes. And they're all laughing at how they are 
at this interview, but there's no jobs available anywhere in the city. And you can see Jack deflates a little bit, and then he just interjects that he wants a copy of the Beef Wellington recipe they're discussing. So it seems like someone is resigning himself to his fate a little bit. So then we see the family is on the way to the company picnic for Caroline's company. And they decide if they have to stay longer than 15 minutes, they will, quote, pull the Aunt Emily. Ron tells Jack if they stick around, he can watch the company Olympics with the rest of the wives. Jack decides he needs to participate. So as everybody warms up, the other guys tell him to relax. They won't win because, of course, Ron is the boss, implying that Ron must win. Jack wins the first portion, a race wearing flippers. He comes in second in the tunnel crawl because one of the guys grabs his leg. He comes in second in the trampoline portion, and he's coming in strong as they round the end of the course again. But then someone, of course, grabs his leg. Um, he comes second in the downhill tricycles. He kills it at the hurdles and is neck and neck with Ron. It's one of those like epic chariots of fire, you know, photo type finishes. And he's on track to win. And as he's coming closer and closer to the finish line, we see him meet the eyes of his wife and he knows that he has to throw the race. He knows what he has to do and he falls right before the finish line and lets Ron win. I think that's when Caroline really realizes that he, in his own way, is supportive of her career, even though it's a little hard for him and his fragile little male ego. So then, as we see Caroline head out to work for another day, we see Jack waving from the bedroom window, sporting a new beard. Um, He appears to have a routine, somewhat, but he keeps stopping to watch a soap opera. Um, He's now raking toys under the bed and watching soaps in every room as he, quote, cleans and drinks beer as he goes. In the kitchen, Alex brings a grilled cheese sandwich complaining that it's cold and the cheese isn't melted. (laughs) So Jack uses the hot iron to rectify the problem. I'm pretty sure that's a trick he learned in college. (laughs) Kenny then comes in with his ripped blankie, his whoobie. And super dad to the rescue, he uses a stapler to fix the tear in the blanket. Uh Uh-huh. We then see Jack playing poker with some of the neighborhood ladies, and they're trading coupons and rebates instead of cash. It's interesting, this is from 1983, but in 2019, it's interesting how the coupons are the same. 50 cents off hefty bags, 25 cents off of Brillo, a $2 rebate on Domino's Pizza. But I'll tell you this, back in 1983, there was no expiration dates on the majority of those coupons. Not so much today. Some of them expire in as little as two or three days from the day they're printed and sent out to you. Interesting. So the amounts haven't changed, but the prices of the items have definitely gone up. Well, that's food for thought. That's nice and depressing. So then Caroline happens to come home mid-poker game, and she's a little surprised, and a fight ensues, and Jack yells that he's losing it. He's going crazy being at home all the time. He and Megan are watching the same TV shows, and he likes it. And as Jack watches his soaps... Joan calls 
and says she'll be right over. She knows he's lonely because of how Caroline is speaking to him. So she arrives and pulls open her coat to reveal lingerie. And as they embrace, Caroline walks in and Joan tells her that Jack is too much man to be left alone. Caroline then pulls out a gun with a silencer so the kids don't hear anything. And asks him, what did it, Jack? Boredom? Loneliness? Days running one into the next? So she ends up shooting him in the abdomen. He very dramatically dies. And as he falls, he adjusts himself so he will fit into an already drawn chalk line on the carpeting. And then when she's asked what kind of gun she used, was it a 38? Caroline responds, 38, 39, whatever it took. I thought it echoes Jack's electricity comment from earlier. So, of course, yes, the poker game was real, but the whole shooting and cheating and all of that was all a dream, of course. Very 80s. So now Jack has woken up from his dream. He has a new perspective and a newfound motivation. And then we get a classic 80s montage of him showering and shaving, cleaning the gutters, vacuuming. He's taking out the trash. He started leading aerobics for his former coupon poker buddies. And now he's volunteering as the new crossing guard at school, making sure other people know how to drop off their kids properly when he was once the one doing it wrong. There's nothing like a good 80s makeover montage. I don't care if it's like someone's style, their bedroom, their house, their job and their life. I love it. I don't know. I can't think of offhand any more recent movies where there's a good makeover montage. I need to look into that. So he now is waking the kids efficiently in the morning, telling them to feed the animals, do their chores, come down for breakfast. Mom's in the shower, and he comes in to let her know that she's running late, bring her a piece of toast. It's crazy. He kisses her on the way out the door, and he is the picture of a super efficient dad. Someone's made a turnaround. He is standing with the boys, and they're standing in front of the fireplace. And he tosses in his flannel shirt that he wore for two weeks. And Kenny's standing there, and it looks like he's going to throw his whoopee in. But all of a sudden, he holds it to his chest and runs away. He's just not ready to part with it. And this brings, like, one of the best lines um, in the movie, actually. Jack finds Kenny in his room, and he sits down and says, quote, It's time to have a man-to-man about the whoopee. Whoopee is looking bad, and I understand you little guys start out with your whoopee, And pretty soon, Wooby isn't enough. You're out there on the street trying to score an electric blanket or maybe a quilt, and the next thing you know, you're strung out on bedspreads, kid. It's serious. I don't know why that makes me laugh so much, but I think that's hilarious. So in the end, Kenny does part with his Wooby and kind of starts his path to growing up a little bit. He has his transformation just like his dad. Aww. So Caroline spends most of her evening finishing an extremely important presentation for the big account, Schooner Tuna. Everybody comes out of the pitch meeting looking dejected, and finally it's Caroline's turn, and she tells him to explain to housewives 
that schooner tuna understands their plight in this bad economy. You can tell that she looks a little unsure, but Caroline's suggestion is, quote, schooner tuna sympathizes with those hit so hard by this trying economy. To help you, we are reducing the price of our tuna by 50 cents a can. When this crisis is over, we will go back to our regular prices. Until then, remember, we are all in this together. Signed, Howard Humphreys, President, Schooner Tuna. The tuna with a heart. Everybody's silent, and they're waiting for him to say he hates the pitch so she can walk out dejected like everyone else has. Until he says, quote, where in the hell have you been hiding this little girl? Really? Really? Even in 1983? Really? <laughs> so misogynistic and condescending. Like, I just can't even. So, Caroline ends up getting the account. Everyone emerges from the conference room thrilled. Um, we then cut to Halloween, and we see the family coming out the front door. Caroline is being picked up by a driver heading to California for the commercial shoot. Jack is upset that she's off to California on two hours notice. She says it's her job and Jack is left to deal with Halloween. He begins to give her parental guilt. Do you know Megan cut two new teeth? Do you know Kenny gave up his whoopee? And oh, this is the back and forth because it's kind of the same thing that, you know, sometimes stay-at-home moms said to husbands who worked all the time. Um, she does get tears in her eyes, but says she'll be back in less than a week. All will be okay, and they'll talk then. As a side note, um, can we talk about the Halloween costumes in this? Um, if you haven't seen this movie, and you're a child of the 80s, you most definitely need to go take a look. These are not classic 80s costumes. If you were lucky in the 80s, your mom went to the fabric store and bought the material and made you a costume. Joanne Fabrics, Ben Franklin. Um, if your mom did not sew, did not have the time to sew, or was not inclined to sew, <laughs> you got a store-bought costume. And in the 80s, a store-bought costume was a plastic mask that made you look like somewhat like Wonder Woman or whatever and had eye holes it had a little string of elastic that went around the back of your head to hold it on and it had a teeny tiny like maybe the size of a grain of rice hole for you to breathe through in the somewhere in the mouth section of this mask it was never enough to breathe through. The back of the mask always got a bunch of condensation on it and was sticky and it was just gross. But that maybe wasn't the worst part. The body of the costume was always two pieces of vinyl. Um, I can't even, I have racked my brain for something to compare it to for like the thickness because it was fairly thick. It smelled like plastic chemicals and every single one was sewn, well not sewn, I'm sure they like melted it together um, in the exact same way. Like, you know, two armholes, two leg holes in the body, period. 
and you just slipped this over your clothing whatever character you were was printed on the front and you know wonder woman you'd have like the outline of wonder woman's body or whatever or a care bear or whatever you were and then at the back by your neck there was a little tie to tie it closed and that was it and then you held your little orange plastic pumpkin and went door to door and everybody made hideous sounds kind of somewhat like the sound of corduroy pants and you kind of only wore it once because you were lucky if it made it through halloween and let me tell you most people split their costumes because you really couldn't move much in them and i grew up in chicago so god help you if you needed to put warm clothing under that because it was cold out yeah good luck stuffing it under the plastic that you're wearing but i mean on the upside it did kind of create a barrier and keep you a little warmer i guess so mm, i don't know six of one half dozen of another it should also be noted that the little skinny elastic strap across the back of your head never made it the whole night those masks always broke and you'd end up carrying them so oh well like i said not classic 80s costumes um so Jack does not trust the babysitter he has hired. So he takes the kids to a job interview and they think they can get him back to his old job, but at half salary. He goes into a meeting where the higher ups ask why costs have gone up and production is down since he left. He states he's no longer working there. He made cars and he didn't keep the books. Maybe they need to ask their current employees and he leaves with the kids. Good for him for not agreeing to go back for you know, half the money he was making previously, but with the same amount of responsibilities, potentially more. So then we join Caroline in the set of the commercial, and Ron asks her to dinner afterwards, and she declines, saying she just wants to go back to the hotel and take a hot bath. Back home in Detroit, Jack is dragged to a strip club by his poker buddies, <laughs> all the coupon trading moms in the, of the neighborhood. And when he gets home, the kids beg to call mommy. It's only 8.30 in California. So then we see Mommy in the bathtub at the hotel, relaxing, drinking a chocolate milkshake. And we see Ron sneaking into her room with room service and champagne. The phone rings. Ron answers it. Who does that? Who sneaks into someone's hotel room and then answers the phone when they're in there like they're the damn butler? Oh my god. Um so he hangs up the or answers the phone and when Jack says hello, Ron's like says who the hell is this? And Jack says this is her husband. Who the hell is this? And Ron just hangs up. And Jack is bewildered like who the hell's answering the phone in her room? Ron then comes on to Caroline after she gets out of the bathtub and asks her to leave her husband for him and she tells him to get out and she eventually punches him in the face jack is upset won't answer the phone no matter how many times she calls home and then we see caroline's plane touchdown we then see caroline's plane touchdown home um which coincidentally it's was an eastern airlines and it appears to be a lockheed l1011 tristar I am a small, because I don't know that much, so I say a small 
Aviation Junkie. Um, I do know, if anybody knows if that was something different, you have better eyes and know these planes better on site, let me know. Um, but I do believe it's an L-1011 TriStar. Um, that was considered to be one of the most technologically advanced planes of its day. Um, it was unbelievable. But unfortunately, and unfortunately, the Lockheed uh, L-1011 TriStar and Eastern Airlines are both no more. We then see Joan rushing to Jack's home after hearing the news of Caroline's apparent infidelity. We see Jack doing some updates to the house and painting. The TV repair woman is back and she finds a shoe in the TV screen, which she diagnoses as the problem. <laughs> we now see his progression. Because now we have the TV repair woman, the exterminator, and Joan all in the house at the same time, and he handles it seamlessly. He's coordinating efforts, he's, you know, got everything under control, unlike the first time the TV repair woman came. As he heads up to take a shower, tells Joan to, you know, hang out, make herself at home, watch TV if she wants, and while he's in the bathroom, she tells him she loves what he's done with the bedroom. As he's in the shower and debating the pros and cons of sleeping with Joan, Caroline arrives home and finds Joan luxuriating and relaxing on her bed. Of course, Joan scampers out, and when Jack comes out of the bathroom, he instead finds his wife laying on the bed. So in the end, Jinx Bet comes and begs Jack to come back to work. Ron comes in and apologizes to which the TV repairman steps, repair woman steps in and negotiates for her. And Caroline ends up with three days at the office, two days at home. The exterminator negotiates for Jack to go back to work. And as negotiations for the return continues in the background, we see the family getting reacquainted while we hear the new Schooner Tuna commercial come on the TV. The commercial ended up exactly as Caroline had proposed and it seems like this is going to, going forward, be a dual career family. But other than all of the obvious that I pointed out, like misogynistic issues in this movie and gender roles, I do think in the end, the lesson here is everyone can work. Everyone can pitch in at home. And when everybody kind of does both, Everyone is happier. You just have to work together. And hopefully in 2019, we have somewhat learned that lesson. If not, I think we need to learn it quickly. So I don't think that this movie overall did well on the Bechdel test. I really, uh, I'm struggling to think of there being any dialogue between two female characters that did not involve male. Overall, it's a good movie. Um, I enjoy it. Um, I just, you know, manage my expectations. I know not to expect too much out of it. I do, however, really still enjoy all of the early 80s. Um, you know, the clothing, those McDonald's cups in the conference room, the cars, um, you know, all of the furniture and things in their home. It's just hilarious and it's nostalgia for me 
So that's it from Mr. Mom. Um, join me next time when we will rewatch another TV show or movie. Um, something long forgotten. And hopefully discover some new favorites. Um, if you have any suggestions, email me at retrocinemareviewpod at gmail.com. And until our next snarky review, if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. Bye.